I'm going to jump straight into my message today. We've got a lot to cover and a lot to uh, get through. I'm going to begin by reading uh, from Jeremiah 31, verse uh, 29. And here in this passage, God is speaking here through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, In those days, people will no longer say, People will no longer say, parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And then goes on to say, whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Now you might be here and going, well, so, so pastor, what is that? What does that even mean? You just read that out. What does that even mean? And of what possible relevance, Pastor, does that have for my life, for my problems, for my struggles and my difficulties that I'm walking through today? And I do hope by the end of the message, if I've done my job right, that you will have at least some clarity uh, around that. Now, I don't often use the message version of the Bible as it's not an actual translation, but uh, to help us, I get... I guess, gain clarity around what that proverb is saying. I, I, I want to do that today because I do, do think the way the message puts it makes it uh, at least clear or clearer and perhaps in a way easier to understand for us today. So the message says of that same passage, it says, in those days, people will no longer say, parents ate green apples, their children got the stomachache. Parents ate green apples, their children got the stomachache. Uh, God is actually saying to his people in this passage, stop, or at least the days are coming where you will stop saying this very proverb in Israel, where you will say this no longer. And so let's ask the question, what is the proverb that they were to no longer say implying? What is it, what is it really implying or, or saying? I think it's saying this, our fathers did that and now we the children suffer because of that. Because our fathers did that, we now as the children suffer because of that. In other words, if I could put it another way, uh, uh, another way because my father ate prunes last night, I have a stomachache. Listen, we have to understand that this was a very common way that Jews thought. This is a very common type of thinking for Jewish people. In my NIV study Bible in the notes say this. Many Jewish people felt that God's hand of judgment against them was due not to their own sin, but to the sins of their ancestors. They're to blame for our problems. And you can see this all throughout Scripture. You can see this even in uh, the time of Jesus. Uh, you remember the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9, verse 1. The disciples asked Jesus, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his, his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, what they were asking is, who's to blame for this? Who's to blame for this situation? Who's to blame for that which one, this one is walking, walking through. 
And I think, if I'm honest, I've been in ministry a long time, but, but I think even Christians think like this. Just in my experience over many years, I don't know whether it's your experience, but I, I've met many Christians who have this type of thinking when something's going wrong or something's not working and you might, there's no obvious sin in your life or whatever. There's just, it's just like when stuff's just not working or it seems like the whole world's coming against you or that type of thing. It's like, you know, what, what is going on here? What, what, what has happened or what's... What's in my life that is causing this? And, you know, you, you, you get all types of advice over the, uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard people say, you know, it's because, you know, four generations back, it was because my so-and-so was in the Freemasons. And because they were in the Freemasons, that now is coming around and affecting or my auntie or my cousin's brother. They used to do witchcraft. And because of that, that today is now affecting us. So I don't know. I can't really change anything because all of that's going back on those generations. No, I've, I've met Christians who think like that, who talk like that. But the prophet is saying, in those days, people will say no longer, talk that way no longer. In those days, people will no longer say, parents ate the green apples, their children got the stomach ache. God's saying no. No, each person will pay for his own sin. You eat green apples, you're the one who gets sick. Now hear me out, this message, I hope it's going to help you. It might be prickly, but I want to help you today. I'm Pastor Adam, I love you, I'm trying to help you. It says, no, each person will pay for his own sin. You eat green apples, you're the one who gets sick. If, if I get a sore tummy, in fact, when I was preparing this message on Friday, I had a sore tummy. I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain. And so, so I, and it just, as it dawned on me, the question I was asking in that was not, what, you know, what did my father eat that I have a sore tummy uh, today? That was not the question I asked. The question I asked was, what did I eat that has caused this sore tummy? What is it that I have eaten that has caused this situation that... Uh, I, I, I'm in, and that, that's how we sort of go. Or Anita is sort of like, what have you eaten? She will help me uh, with that, that you've uh, have you eaten something you shouldn't have. And so, so, so we're going we're to understand that that's what I did. And so what God is saying in this passage, I think, is simply this. Each of us is accountable before God for our life. You and nobody else is responsible for your choices, your actions, and for your inaction. You might still say, well, pastor, I don't get it, and that's okay, neither did God's people. They didn't understand it either. In fact, sometime later, God again speaks this exact message even stronger through the prophet Ezekiel. And he actually goes to great lengths to break it down to help them understand it because this way of thinking was so ingrained in the Jewish mind. And in Ezekiel 18, verse 1, he says, The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? In fact, in the ESV, it says, What do you mean about repeating this proverb? And it's referring back to Jeremiah. If you look at the sideline side in the small print, it's referring back to that. What are you doing repeating this proverb that I've told you not to say? So what do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. And then it says, as surely as I live. And that's God speak for like, you better take me seriously. 
So you better listen to me. You better listen to what I'm saying. I, I, the Lord, I'm speaking. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. And then to make it even clearer, he breaks it down even further by giving a scenario of three different generations and two types of people. And for the sake of time, we can't read all of the chapter, but I just want to give you the gist of it. But I, I do highly recommend that you take some time in your spare time, maybe this afternoon, and read the full chapter in its entirety because I want to tell you, for my life, it was a game changer. This chapter it set me free in so many, so many areas. But for the sake of time, we'll just pull it down. So let's look at what it says about these three generations and these two types of people. So here, here, here he is, Ezekiel, breaking this down. Speaking, This is the Lord speaking. It says, the first generation, number one, suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look at the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife, etc., etc. And the list goes on. It tells about all these bad things that this guy does not do. He just that lists a whole lot of stuff out. Says he does not do it. This guy's a righteous man. He does not do these bad things. And then it goes on to say, He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. The man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. Uh, but here is number two, the second generation. And he says, suppose that man, that good man, that righteous man has a son and he's a violent son and he sheds blood and he does all the things, all the things the father, the righteous father didn't do, he does. He does all of those things. He, 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 he eats on mountain shrines. He defiles his neighbor's wife. He worships idols. He does all of those things. And it goes on to ask, will such a man live? It says he will not. And then it talks about the third, or number three, the, the third generation. It says this, suppose that son, suppose that bad son has a son who sees all the sins that his father commits, all the bad stuff that his father did. And he says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. And though he sees them, he does not do such things. He does not eat on the mountain shrines or look to the idols of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He does what is right, etc. It declares he will not die for his father's sin, he will surely live. And then he gives a scenario of two different types of people. He, he, he says this, if a wicked person turns away from all of the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees, in other words, if I'm going down this way in the way of sin and I, and I turn and I start living right, if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. It goes on to say, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And then it gives the second person, and this person is a righteous person who turns towards evil. If a righteous person turns from their righteous ways and commits sin and does the same detestable things that a wicked person does, will they live? And I think by now you can figure out probably what the answer will be. And the Lord sums it up at the end of the chapter by saying this, I will judge each of you according to your own ways. Not according to what someone else has done, not according to what someone else has, how someone else has lived. I will, I, I, will, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Rid yourselves of all offenses you have committed and get a new heart because you're people of a new covenant. If you read Jeremiah, he talks about the new covenant. Get a new heart and a new spirit. And it finishes with repent and live. 
And so if we would encapsulate what I think God is saying to his people in this scripture, I would say it seems like to me that he's saying to his people, each of us is accountable before God. I know I'm repeating it. I want us to get it. Each of us is accountable before God for our own life. And it seems like to me God is clearly saying to the people that no, you and nobody else is responsible for your choices, for your actions, and for your inactions. That's what I think it's saying. And so why is that important for us today? Well, because we live in a society today that is seemingly actively embracing a doctrine of victimhood. It really is. This is the narrative of much of today's unsocial media. It's esteeming a philosophy that primarily places the burden of blame on all that is bothering, bad, or broken in one's life on someone or something else. It's someone or something else's fault that I'm in this situation. And it seems that I'm not trying to be controversial. I, 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 I just, this is, makes sense to me. And it seems that anything and everything is a tool in the victimhood arsenal today. Your upbringing, the government, past prejudice, skin color, my gender, my sexual orientation, my, 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 my material inequality. They have and I don't. I mean, the truth is the list of grievances, there's so many things I can add in here. But the truth is the list of grievances is endless. When you, when you live with a victimhood mentality, the, 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 the amount of grieve, grievances you can come up with is, is literally endless. And I want to say the church is not immune to it. I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the church. A church is not immune to it. To, to, to the subtle influences of those who wish in an age of intersectionality to deconstruct all that the church has held dear and abandon orthodoxy for some watered-down version of the gospel that's really no gospel at all. I've got to deconstruct my faith, they say. It's all over the internet. You can, you can see it everywhere. I've got to deconstruct my faith, they say. Oh, I don't go to church anymore. I don't go to church anymore. The, the, the church has hurt me, they say. It's offended me, they say. The, the, the Bible and its teachings needs to be updated, changed to reflect the day in which we, we live. Let me say two things. Number one, the truth is, if, if, if you have been hurt at church, welcome to the club. Come on. Welcome to the club. Because here's the thing. You hang around people long enough, someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going someone's gonna to offend you. And if you, you, you've been in church for, for only a little while, give it time. It'll happen. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just telling, I'm, just, I'm just preparing you right now. Someone will say something or do something that will hurt you. It'll probably be me, probably Anita. No, no she, she won't. Do it. It'll probably be me. 
But, but, but it'll happen. So at some stage, something will happen that will offend you, or I'll say something. I, I was just saying it in jest, and, oh, man, you took it the wrong way. Or, 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 or uh, you, you know, I might, you, you might see me on the road, and I don't wave to you because I didn't see you because I'm really blind with these glasses off. And, 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 and I, when I cycle, I, don't, I cycle without my glasses off, and I can't see anything. Because, and the reason I do that is because when I put my glasses on, it makes me feel really small, and I want to feel really big. And so when I take this off, I cycle, but I can't see you. So I might pass you and not say hi. And they're like, I'm not going to that church anymore. That pastor's so unfriendly. (laughs) Listen, the longer you stay in church, the longer you stay with any group of people, someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to do something. Can I hear a good amen on that? It's just how it is. It's not intentional, intentional, but it's inevitable. It will happen. In fact, the closer you get to people, the risk of getting hurt and offended increases. Come on, it really does. But I want to say, if you seek to do genuine community with anyone, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get offended. That's why I say to people, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll spoil it. You'll muck it up. (laughs) Because none of us are perfect, right? Listen, the Bible does not say, do not forsake the assembling or meeting of yourselves together, except if you're hurt and offended. It doesn't say that. It's encouraging, even if we are hurt or offended, to continue doing community together. That's a community together. That's that's why we need to love one another. You know, when the Bible says, "This is how they will know you, my disciples." By the way, in which they have love for one another, it is not because of the absence of issues. It's because of the issues. We need, we need to love each other in spite of the issues, in spite of the hardship, in spite of the things. That's what genuine community is. That's why we, we, we have to forgive one another, each, forgive one another in love. We, we, we have to do that. We will face times where people will say or do something where forgiveness is, is required. This is genuine community. Well, still, we, we, number two, we, we, we need to change the Bible. And it's teaching that it needs to be updated and modernized so I can, so I can somehow live how I want to live and not be offended. The Bible offends me. Some of the stuff it says, it just offends me. Let me say this. The same serpent who addressed Eve in Genesis yeah. in the beginning is addressing a new generation now. Yeah. Saying, did God really say, Really? Did, really, did God really say that's bad? Did God really say that's evil? Did God really say that's wrong? Did God really say... So, so, I mean, what, what did he promise Adam and Eve? is like, you can be like God. You can be like God. You can decide. You decide what's good. You decide what's evil. You can make it up yourself. You can, you can be like God. You decide what's right and what's wrong. Friend, I want to just tell you today, as clear as I can be, you don't change the Bible. The Bible's to change you. You don't rearrange the Bible. The Bible's to rearrange you. It's to rearrange your life, your mess, put you in order. We don't change it to suit us. We allow it to change us from the inside. Oh, good preaching, Pastor. Thank you very much. A victimhood mindset has become a political tool. I mean, this, the last service has gone online. It's too late. And I don't know, some, some people can take it wrong or whatever. But it is what it is. A victimhood mindset has become a political tool. Someone has said it seems like there is an oppression Olympics going on. Who's the most oppressed? 
And all I'm saying to you today as a pastor, as a leader in the church, is don't buy into the lie. Don't. Don't buy into the lie that's been pushed down our throat. I'm just saying, don't be woke. Don't be woke. Instead, wake up. Be wake. Wake up and see what's happening to our generations. Wake up to what is going on. So important. That's how freedoms be stolen. Subtly, slowly. Don't be woke. I don't want to be a woke church. Wake up. Tap your neighbor and say, wake up. Come on. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying, it's important you understand this. I am not saying, and neither is the scripture, that where you have come from and what you have gone through in your life has no impact or influence on your life. I am not saying that. Neither is the scripture. I am absolutely aware that many people have suffered through traumatic, perhaps even violent situations in their lives. There'll be people here in this room even now, today, that have been abused physically, sexually, I am not in any way trying to minimize or trivialize your pain or your suffering. There'll be those who have, who have faced trauma of all kinds of various degrees. And I'm not saying today that that doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let your pain refine you rather than define you. Let it do a refining work in your life than rather define who you actually are. See, I don't want your pain to drain your potential. That which God has for you in his fullness. Now I've said the scripture says that each of us is accountable before God for our own life and that you and nobody else is responsible for your choices, for your actions, for your inactions. But clearly, Clearly, you are not responsible for everything that happens to you. I'm not saying that. You you can't help what happens to you in life. Sometimes life just sucks, right? Or maybe maybe not you, but but sometimes life just sucks. Sometimes stuff happens that that causes pain and and, and difficulty. And again, we've got to understand if if you're seeking to follow Jesus where where there's no struggle or no battle, and where I just thought if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be smooth and everything's going to be fine. You're reading the wrong Bible. There are going to be trials, there are going to be troubles, there are going to be difficulties that we have to walk through. The, the, the good news is the fact that he can walk through us through the valley of the shadow of death. We can fear no evil. His rod and his staff will comfort us. So, so we need to have a correct understanding of, uh, if you like, a theology of suffering, a theology of pain, a theology of, uh, of trial and, and difficulty. Clearly, you're not responsible for everything that's happened in your life. Everything that's happened to you in your life. You lost a job. I mean, this has been the last 12 months. Maybe you lost a job and it didn't work out. And 
you know, the company had to make some calls and, you know, you ended up being on the, the rough end of that, that call because of the economic climate. You can't help that. Maybe your relationship failed because your partner decided, you know, I don't want this anymore and I'm walking out. But it's like, I, I want this, but no, no, I don't want it. No, I, I'm going out. I'm gone. It's not what you wanted, but it's, uh, you can't help what's happened to you. Or maybe for you and your family, alcoholism has been a, an issue for, for, for years, through generation to generation. My father was an alcoholic, and that, that caused me to, to grow up in a place of pain and suffering. And I suffered because of that. You can't help what happens to you. And that's led to some tough times. And I... I am saying you, you can't help what other people do to you. You can't help what, how other people treat you. But here's what I am saying. I, I think scripture, and what I think scripture is ultimately saying, is it's not what's happened to you, but what God can do in and through you. Come on, somebody. That makes the difference. And so I'm saying in life, we, we cannot control what happens to us, but we can control how we choose to react and, and, and respond to such, such things. And the truth is, this message will be received either as good news or bad news, depending on your perspective. It really will. Depending on how you see life, depending on the lenses that you look through, because, you know... I, you know, you, you, there'll be different kinds of people in here. You know, are, are you a glass half empty person or a glass half full? When you look at the glass, is it half empty or is it half full? How, how do you see, see life? I'm always reminded of that story just to give an example, a perspective of the shoe salesman who was sent to an island to, to, to sell some shoes. And as he's getting off, the, getting off the boat, walking down the gangplank, he sees all the people on the island. They're walking around in bare feet and he... Straight away gets on his mobile, rings his boss and goes, send me a ticket back. Nobody needs shoes here. Two months later, another salesman comes, arrives at the same island, walks down the same gangplank, sees the same people, the same situation, rings his boss and says, send me a hundred boxes. Everybody needs shoes here. Come on. It's just how you see it. The Israelite army saw Goliath and thought he's too big to hit. David saw Goliath and thought he's too big to miss. It's just how you see things. The, the 12 spies, 10, 10 went in and said, the, the, the people who live there, they're giants. I mean, it's huge. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We can't do it. We can't do it. And then, then Joshua and Caleb, you know, they're, they're like, no, no, surely we can do this. We can do this. God has said we can, we can do this. Why? Because, because 10 looked through the eyes of fear, two looked through the eyes of faith. Which eyes are you going to look through? Are you going to be a victim or a victor? It's just, it just it depends on... Your perspective, it's the same situation, the same odds, the same, same life. It's just how you will view it, through what lens will you look. I'm trying to help you today. Yeah, this message will be received as good news or bad news, depending on your perspective. You will see it as a victim or a victor. See, because here's the bad news. When you see it through the bad news, the bad news is only you can fix it. There's no one you can blame. There's no one else you can. So that's their fault. Well, it's just like, no, I'm this way because of that. See, the bad news is only you can fix it. But here's the good news. The good news is only you can fix it. Here's the good news. Only you can fix it. 
which means what? I am not nothing, nothing in my past, nothing in my background, nothing in my upbringing, nothing in my thing is able to stop what God wants to uh, do. It's not going to hinder me. It's not going to slow me down. It's not going to block me. It's not going to uh, get in the way of whatever God wants to do. And so when I look at this, the scripture is good news to me because it's saying I can affect the outcome of my life. The good news is nothing that's happened to me can hold me back, slow me down, block my path, unless I let it. And so I'm just saying saying to you today, don't let it. Don't let whatever it is for you, because all of us will have our own it. But I'm saying don't let whatever it is for you control your life. No matter what's happened to you in your past or in your upbringing, there is no limit to what God can do in and through you. So this is good news. You can say, you know, what's happened to me in my past, it it was bad. But I choose to get better and not bitter. Oh, it might take some time. Oh, I may need some help. Oh, I may need some counseling. I may need to visit some people. But I want to tell you, what's happened in my past does not hinder me, stop me. I'm not going to let it. I I am free to be able to do and to turn my life around. Oh, I pray you let it be good news to you today. And I want to say, this is not just hype. I'm not trying to hype you up. Come on, you can, you can do it. It's not hype. Please understand, first and foremost, you are not alone in the battle. You're not alone. Now, you're, you, you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Well, we've talked about our identity. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You are a son and daughter of the Most High, high God. Oh, I never had a dad who helped me. You have a father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's your dad. It's your father. You're not alone. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, last week we celebrated the resurrection from the dead of our Lord and Savior Christ. Jesus, who triumphed over sin and death. We learned that the resurrection turns tragedy into triumphs, graves into gardens, funerals into festivals, and listen, victims into victors. Someone said this, nobody who has truly seen the cross and experienced the power of the resurrection can ever again speak of hopeless cases. Hallelujah. Because what was dead is now alive. Oh, you might feel like it's hopeless at the moment. You might feel like, man, I'm not going to make it through. But because of Christ today, and that's the thing, this is not about standing in our own strength. This is understanding who we are. I'm a son and daughter of the King. No hopeless case. Remember the blind man, Jesus, as he went along, he saw 
a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? I mean, who's to blame that he was born blind? Jesus said this, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And it goes on to say, but this happened, this happened. Whatever is in your life that you can say, this happened, that happened. But this happened so, so the works of God might be displayed in him, in his life. I want to say to you today, whatever has happened to you in life, through life, the Bible says, God is saying here, I, I want to use that to display my glory. He wants to use our lives, our trouble, our trials, our pain, our, our, our struggles. He wants to use, use that to bring glory to his name. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, and maybe you don't know, but if you don't know, you will know now. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. It doesn't say all things are good. Some things suck. Some things are so dumb. Some things happen in life that's just like, you just like flip. You might even swear. Don't swear, but you might, because it's just so annoying. Some are getting convicted right throughout the auditorium right now. <laughs> but God is saying here, I want to display my glory through that struggle, through that trial, through that pain, through that suffering. Because I know my situation isn't good, but God can work it for good because I love Him. Because I love Him. Because I love Him. And he can make our tests a testimony. And he can make our mess a message for his glory, and for his honor, and for his praise. And I know that life can be difficult. I know that life can be tough. I know people in our church are going through hard times because that's just what life is like. I know it's not easy, but my friend put a post on this week that I think, I was like, yeah, yeah. This is helpful. It helped me. And I want to share it because maybe it'll help you. And he said this, so far, you have made it through 100% of your bad days. Your success rate is brilliant. So keep trusting God. Statistically, you're going to get through the next one too. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. You're going to get through. Because you're not alone. The grace of God is there to help and strengthen you. But why not let him glorify himself through your life with all your troubles and with all your trials? Victim or victor, the choice really is ours. Let's trust him because of what was won at Calvary to help us flow into all that God wants us to be. If you believe that, why don't you give a clap offering right now and just thank. <laughs> Let it be your amen. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand just as we come to a close? I don't want to finish this service without giving you the most important choice of all. Maybe you're here today and you've not made the choice to follow Christ. I want to give you that choice right now.
The Bible says he stands on the door of our heart and he knocks. And if we would open that door, he will come in. Maybe you're here today and you know you need to get right with God. Maybe today you know you need to say, Jesus, I I need you in my life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that, that says that, to begin your faith journey. And maybe you're here and you're going, Pastor, could you include me in that prayer? If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, it's a moment between you and God. And you're saying, Pastor, would you include me in that prayer wherever you're standing right now? Would you put your hand up? You're just saying, by putting your hand out, you're saying, Pastor, include me. I need to get right with you today. Anyone here today? Thank you. The front here. Anyone else? Thank you over to the side here. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God. Let's not mess around. Put, put your hands in the hand of the man who calmed the waters. Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King and our God. Anyone else, you know you need to get right. You should have put your hand up, but you didn't. Come on, where are you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Today I turn from my sin, and I turn towards God. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we put our hands together for all those who said yes to Jesus today? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, as you walk out of the auditorium, the pastor will be holding up a gift pack. It's got a Bible in it. Grab one of those. It'll tell you a little bit about the decision. But this is the beginning, not the end of your Christian life. That's not that. This is just the beginning of the walk. Keep coming to church. Keep allowing God to work in your life. As we close, I want to let you know, if you need prayer for anything, there'll be some prayer station over there. There'll be someone to pray for you. But let me pronounce a blessing over you as we close. Would you put your hands out like this? And again, remembering this is not a hit song that's going around the world. This is an ancient blessing spoken by rabbis for thousands of years. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you shalom, peace. The word shalom does not just mean peace, it means wholeness. May God give you wholeness, wholeness in your family, in your children and your children's children and those who do not know God and who are far away, may He reach them as well. This we pray today. In your unlimited and matchless and powerful name. Amen.